can't really say that anything kept me going. It was never an option to, to not go. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Simon, a very warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Sylvan, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You are the co-founder and CTO at Neon, a transaction account for everyday finances and probably one of the hottest Swiss startups at the moment. And before we talk about your success story, I want to talk about your personal background. You got your PhD in physics in 2010 and afterwards you went on to work for the management consulting firm Strategy Ant. And I just wonder, how do you actually end up in management consulting with a physics degree? Well, I had a great time doing my PhD, but I also wanted to see a world beyond research, a world where my work and what I do has a visible impact and where I can get short-term gratification. Back then, I thought that consulting can deliver on these wishes. Makes sense. And in that regard, was like entrepreneurship ever a career option for you? Because that would also allow you to see the world and do many different things, right? Yes, Absolutely. And actually, entrepreneurship was quite common among my peers. Mm -hmm. uh, there are quite a, a couple of life science and bio startup, biotech startups in Munich, which were founded by physicists. Makes sense. But did you also really actively you know, consider that as a career choice for yourself, or was that not really an option back in the days? Back then, I really felt that this is it in terms of doing research. I really wanted to sort of do some very practical stuff very hands-on, immediate impact. And, and even starting a biotech startup means putting in a lot of effort now for an uncertain payback in the distant future. Yeah. So the strategy consulting was the better option for you at, at that time. That was my point of view back then. Makes sense. So it was also at Strategy Ant that you then met Jörg Sandrock, one of your co-founders. Can you talk a bit more about how you actually met and how that happened? So when applying at a strategy consultancy, you have a, a couple of very hard interviews, which are quite selective. And then once you made the pick, then the consultancy tries really hard to sell you on the job, yeah. to pick them. <laughs> and uh, this job was Jörg's for Booz Company. So he really sold me on strategy consulting. Fantastic. So he was able to convince you to join them. And then later down the road, at a certain point, you realized, hey, you actually make a good co-founding team. So was there any, you know, any specific moment when you actually realized, hey, we would actually be a great team to start a company together? So we had worked together on a couple of banking projects. And we knew that we share the same view uh, on the world on, and, and we share a similar set of values. We also knew about each other that we could and would put in the amount of work needed to pull Neon off. Does this mean that we agree all the time on everything? Nah, absolutely not. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that there is a saying that comes to mind very often. We heard that on the Tim Ferriss podcast and it says, you need to have shared values, but complementary skill sets. So in that regard, you just talked about the shared values, 
where do you see the complementary skill sets? You with the physics degree and the technical background, and Jörg more the business guy or the, the guy who can sell and build a big vision? Or how did you split the work? We are actually four co-founders. Yes. So that's uh, Jörg, Julius, back then Michael and myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so we share very complementary skill sets in the sense that Jörg did work for a bank before, for yeah. Deutsche. And there he worked for the venture arm. So he brought in a lot of the skills needed for investor relationship management, but also to really understand banking from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. Julius worked as um, CEO and CMO of big travel companies. And yeah, I brought in the technical skill set. And Michael was, as a consultant, uh, quite skilled in operations. Yeah. So I think we brought all the skills needed to the table. Mm -hmm. And can you talk a bit how the idea of, of Neon actually happened? How did that come about that you then said, hey, now it's time to really leave consulting and start our own company? Mm -hmm. So there were a couple of factors. On the one hand, we knew the Swiss banking market quite well from various consulting projects. Mm -hmm. And we had discussed an opportunity for a greenfield bank before. So that, that was kind of always there. And then we saw a window of opportunity since the FINMA, like the, the regulatory authority, they proposed to do a fintech license. So lowering the barrier to entry significantly. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Hypothekarbank Lenzburg was doing the open banking project. So from a REC perspective, as well as from a tech perspective, it seemed a lot more feasible than six months earlier. Awesome. I, I think, you know, talking about the right timing, this is probably exactly the science that you're looking for, right? Banks opening uh, to also be able to integrate or work with other companies, and then also the FINMA regulations that just make it easier to enter the market. I think that's the perfect timing right there. It could have been. Okay. Um, fun fact. The fintech regulation, like uh, the fintech license, came about only about two years later. So if we had known back then, we might not have started Neon in the first place. Um, but we believed in the promise and, and yeah, it was worthwhile. So I guess then it's quite a, a difficult journey, you know, these first two years to say, hey, we continue because this takes more time. What kept you going there? So um, the first two years were pretty much spent first year really fundraising, looking for partners, honing the business plan, the concept, building a prototype. And then the second year was building an MVP, launching a better product. Um, what we didn't do is wait for the fintech license. Instead, we discussed with HBL, which we selected as a technical partner quite early on, and temporarily, they offered us to use their license, mm -hmm. doing banking as a service, if you will. And that worked out so well that we're still doing it. So then you said, we don't need a, a banking license ourselves. We just have a good partner and can actually do it through them. Exactly. Fantastic. And, you know, if you really reflect back on, on your decision to start a company, you were basically making a good career in, in strategy consulting. And at a certain point in time, you had to make a decision to say, hey, 
I take the leap, I leave my probably well-paying job and start my own company with a lot of risk and uncertainty, something that wasn't too appealing for you back in the days when you finished your studies. So how do you make that decision? Is that something that came easy to you or was it really also a struggle to say, okay, I'll leave my well-paying corporate job and I now start my own company? So back then we had done two or three projects which were not so fulfilling as in you create a concept, but then the client doesn't really get it. The the, the concept is never being built. Um, so I was a bit frustrated and I decided to take a sabbatical. So in, in the fourth quarter of 2016, I went surfing in Indonesia. And there and then I had a couple of phone calls with Jörg. And then he visited me for three weeks and we jointly wrote the business plan. And for me, it was 100% clear that this is it. If, if we don't do this, then I will never found a company. Was there anything in particular that gave you that feeling that this is really now the time where we have to, to make it happen? This is the moment where I have to go all in to a certain degree. Was there any, any sign or any feedback that really convinced you or gave you that feeling? There was not a single one. Mm -hmm. It's more like it, it felt like everything came into place. Talking about this uh, timing window of opportunity. Right. Um, and that also included the team. Because Jörg was quite willing to, to also uh, yeah, leave his well-paying uh, strategy consulting career. And we had... Uh, more or less reached out a little bit to Michael as well. Mm -hmm. So there was the opportunity, there was the timing, there's the team. And I don't think it gets much better when starting a company. Yeah, that's right. You know, can you talk a bit how you then also felt like were you just thinking about the idea day and night? Were you really motivated and just couldn't stop working around that idea, that business plan? Or how did it also show in practice that you were really motivated to get started on the company? Exactly this. So there was a lot, of, a lot of intrinsic motivation to do this, to work on this, and it was really lots of ideas, mm -hmm. not a lot of uh, fixed points. Yeah. And this was the time when we really sort of decided on on the cornerstones of how Neon looks like today. This is like one piece. Mm -hmm. like, we really wanted to make this happen. At the same time, as you said, we, we left behind our careers in consulting. So it felt like a massive risk. We did not want to fuck this up. And uh, not wanting to fuck up is also a big motivator. Yeah. You can really you do everything you can to, to make it a success. In that regard, you know, what we also often see when we talk to, to people, to founders, that they also are very frustrated with something in the market where they want to have a solution that they can build and also use for themselves. So in that regard, what was so frustrating from your experience about the current banking environment or offering out there in the market? Mm -hmm. As a strategy consultant, uh, we had a lot of contact with banks to optimize <laughs> their offering but if you look at a typical banking app 
then what you see is that the app replicates the organizational structure of the bank. Okay, so the self-service piece of an app looks like the, the forms that you fill in when you are in the branch of a bank. Mm -hmm. You get pushed products that you don't actually need, but which are quite profitable for the bank. If you want to actually check your balance, well, at least back then you had to uh, click a couple of times until you really uh, see your transactions and your balance. So it's not optimized for the client and for their needs and wants, but optimized for the self or for the service offering of the bank. Mm -hmm. Got it. And what do you do differently in that regard? Like what's your USP or your access to it where you say, this is really the niche and the better offering that we actually create here? So we set out to build the best banking experience for Swiss retail clients. This means that everything we build has the client front and center. And since we do this with a very small team, we can offer our product truly for free for the clients. And even when you get the, the most basic standard Neon Free account, you get the full functionality and you get the lowest fees in Switzerland. And in that regard, you know, offering that for free, that can also be a real challenge, right? I mean, you also have bills to pay and uh, salaries to pay, basically. So I just wonder, how do you solve this business model or revenue stream challenge? How do you actually make money? So the magic ingredient here is that we are a very small and nimble company. We have about 20 employees. And just for comparison, Credit Suisse has 50K employees. So this allows us to live off a much slimmer margin mm -hmm. than our competitors. Specifically, how do we earn money? Our revenues come from card interchange, from some premium plans such as Neon Green, and then also from uh, finder's fees when clients buy partner products via the Neon app. Got it. And which one of these three revenue streams is your largest or most important one these days? card interchange clearly yeah. um, but obviously we're trying to to increase the other revenue streams as well got it and on a different note you know switzerland is quite a small country uh, but you already managed to acquire more than seventy thousand users and clients basically so i just wonder how do you actually do that because that by itself can also be a big challenge for b2c companies in switzerland especially so how did you win clients in the early days how did they make that happen mm -hmm. Since Switzerland is a small market, we were the first independent banking challenger. And that means we did receive a lot of press attention. Yeah. In particular, there was a very detailed uh, television spot in Kassensturz explaining how much clients actually pay for the bank account when including the hidden fees. And this has given us a massive boost in uh, early 2019 in early 2020. Um, the other magic ingredient is that we did uh, a couple of campaigns with Coca and Daydeal, which paid off quite nicely. Cool. In, in, in what regard did they pay off nicely? Did they have just such a good offering that people just signed up like crazy or what was the offering there? Exactly this. Okay. Uh, we had a deal with Coca last year in December and uh, we got about 10k new clients based on this. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty massive. 
talking about challenges, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, uh, you were four co-founders in total, but then along the way, you sort of lost one co-founder, Michael left the company. That by itself is a really big challenge for any startup out there, right? If one co-founder leaves the company. So how did you handle and manage that uh, with, with your other co-founders, with your team and as a company as a whole? Mm -hmm. So this was not a surprise. Michael took a step back from the management of Neon already 15 months before actually leaving. Okay. So we did have a lot of time to find a strong replacement for Michael, Patrick. So we parted ways very amicably and we had a lot of time to jointly work on a smooth transition. Got it. And still, I mean, that's a very big challenge. Do you have any recommendation for startups that might face a similar challenge? Because I could imagine that can really also decide about whether you make it or you break the company. Absolutely. So creating a startup together is intense. It's emotional. There are discussions and it's all part of the game. Um, the important piece, I believe, is to always remember that in the end, all the founders and co-founders, we want the same. We want the company to succeed. And with this in mind, uh, it's a lot easier to always stay on good terms. And to, yeah. So from my perspective, the most dangerous thing is to follow your emotions and, uh, and start fighting amongst each other. Yeah. You don't do any good that way. Before we continue with the show, we would like to introduce you to our new partner, Nuco. Nuco helps founders navigate the paperwork that starting a company involves. From the first consultation all the way to the commercial register, Nuco has helped more than 900 entrepreneurs start their company, and they do so at highly competitive prices. To find out more, visit nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. Again, that's nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. And now, on with the show. In, in that regard, what we also often hear is that you work with a, a vesting or something like that. If somebody leaves the company early, they don't get all of the shares, but mm -hmm. probably a part. Is that also something that you would recommend? 100%, yeah. yeah. Because uh, for tax reasons, you need to get all the shares when founding. Right. It doesn't mean that you deserve to get all the shares at this point in time. And vesting is a very fair way to to distribute this over a period of time. At Neon, it was four years mm -hmm. um, to make sure that somebody who wants to leave early actually can leave early. And then you have uh, rules in place to make sure that you don't have to fight about shares. Yeah, I think that's beautiful to also follow up on what you just said before. You really have to align the incentives you all want the same, but with vesting and other details, you can really also make sure that this is actually the case and not somebody who's not happy just stays longer, uh, what, whatever the reason might be, that there's actually a good way out that is fair for everyone involved. I think that's really important, as you just mentioned. Great. So let's also talk about some of your opponents and supporters. You know, some people might think from the outside that traditional banks that you are just beating with your efficiency are your opponents. How do you see that? Maybe we are their biggest opponent. In the end, 
it's not about being opponents. It's about offering something to the customer that is really valuable for them. Mm-hmm. And the best offering gets the biggest share of the market. Still, Credit Suisse entered the market about nine months ago, eight months ago, with their uh, Credit Suisse X offering. And their slogan was, Schluss mit Apps, die Bank spielen. And that was clearly targeted at Neon. Um, our marketing team responded with, welcome to our playground, which I found <laughs> quite nice. Um, frankly, since they entered the market, we have grown a lot faster. So to me, it seems that Credit Suisse has boosted category awareness by a lot. And at the same time, I believe their offering is a lot better for clients than their old offering was. Okay. So it's good for the clients and it was also good for us. And that's really interesting so, because that's something that you can often see, right? If bigger players enter the market, they also educate the market and sort of open doors to potential new clients. And then you as a probably smaller or younger company then can benefit from that. So in that regard also, how do you still differentiate compared to their offering that is also now, you know, better for the clients? Are you still better, like 10 times better with your offering? Or uh, where do you also compare in that regard with the newly launched offering? So I think there are some hard measurements like pricing Mm -hmm. and feature set. And there we are significantly better in both regards. And then there is more soft factors like customer service and user experience. I'm extremely convinced that we beat them by a lot in in both disciplines, but it's a lot harder to, uh, to prove. Right. That makes sense. So overall, you would say you're happy that Credit Suisse entered the market because at the end you can reap the benefits. In a way, yes. Fantastic. And there are also other uh, neo banks like Revolut or Transferwise from abroad. In what way do they also interfere with your market dominance here in Switzerland? Or do you see them as competitors or how, how do you perceive them? I perceive them more as uh, travel cards or credit cards. They do offer a nice product, in particular Revolut. They were the first to the market with uh, an FX fee-free product. Mm -hmm. And they have a a huge client base in Switzerland. And for us, it's still catch-up. I believe our product is, uh, from a purely financial point of view, a lot better because we are a little bit cheaper. But most of all, we are a Swiss banking product. So with Neon, you do get a Swiss IBAN, you get e-bills, you get Twint, you can pay your ESR and QR bills and so on. All of this you don't get with Revolut. If you're looking for a cheap travel card, then we are more or less on the same level. Got it. Yeah, I think the the clear embedment in in the Swiss market, that's really a USP from your perspective, 100%. Let's also talk about your supporters. So you mentioned the Hypothekarbank Lenzburg, basically your early supporter. Was it difficult to win them over as as partner or supporter in, in, in the first place? So HBL has worked before with fintechs such as Sonect. Um, so we knew that they could be a huge boost for us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
André from Hypothekarbank agreed to talk to us and come uh, to our office on 10th of April 2017. Now, we had an office from April 1st, so a week earlier. <laughs> In this week, we frantically renovated the office, we bought furniture, we printed leaflets, we put posters on the wall to look like a proper established company. In hindsight, I'm not sure that was what convinced Andre, <laughs> but at least uh, it, it helped us in the first of many discussions with Andre and Marianne uh, towards designing the banking as a service offering uh, that we have jointly built. Got it. And I know you cannot go into details here, but people might wonder, you know, how does such a collaboration look like? Like, do you have to pay them an annual fee to use their services and infrastructure? Do they, do you have like a revenue share or how do you actually also cooperate with them on the, on the business level? For 90% of the stuff that we consume in terms of banking as a service, mm -hmm. we pay them an annual fee. So it's our business risk. Yep. And it's also our business gain if, if stuff works out uh, right. uh, very nicely. There are a few things where we do revenue share. Okay, got it. And let's also talk about your first investors, uh, also very important supporters from day one almost. You have uh, well-known investors on board like Markus Oswald, Mike Knaff, Adrian Bührer. So how did you convince them and win them over to, to, to take part in your journey? There were many, many discussions, uh, in particular with Markus. And I, I still remember Markus taking uh, extremely detailed notes, asking many questions. And at some point he decided Neon was worthwhile investing. Um, what exactly convinced him, I can't even say. Uh, with Adrian and Mike, it was a bit easier. I think we, we talked two times. Um, they had a, a few critical questions. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's pretty normal, yeah. right? Along the process. And usually the more questions you get asked, the better, because then they are engaged. They are seriously considering a potential investment. And it's not just like, Silence, I don't want to hear or talk to you anymore. So that's actually a good sign. Another investor that joined later down the road is the TX Group mm -hmm. um, as an investor, but also as a marketing support. Can you talk a bit more about how they support you beyond the pure financial investment part? Mm -hmm. So TX has uh, a lot of ventures, and that means they have a very professional venture arm. I believe they bring a lot of value to the table on the one hand side for me, because I can use their tech expertise. They have a network I can call with, with all the questions I have. Um, but they also bring a lot of value to our marketing team. Again, on the one hand side for media coverage, clearly, yeah. but also for their marketing expertise. Got it. And that really allows you to stay in, in that efficiency that is so important to you. Uh, talking about media, you also joined Höhle de Löwen in, in Switzerland, a TV show uh, where people also make investments. And there you also convinced Roland Brack and you then also got access to his platform. I even saw uh, on, on the daily deal platform of, of Brack.ch that there was a neon giveaway, basically. So can you also talk a bit uh, about the reactions that you got after appearing on the show and how Roland Brack also supported you? Höhle de Löwen, the show itself? It was a boost, but not as big as we expected. 
That okay. was a bit of a surprise to me, being a German, and in, in Germany it's a massive show. It's crazy. Here in Switzerland we were part of the first series, and it yeah. wasn't that known, I believe. Right. But still, um, the day deal was extremely successful. So being able to use Roland Brack's platform was, was quite helpful. And then also, frankly, uh, we could really use the cash from Hütte der Löwen. Fair point. Yeah. You know, talking about the TV exposure, not living up to the expectations, what do you actually get out of such a TV uh, appearance? Do you get just more clicks on your website or do you actually also generate more clients and signups? Or what, what can people expect if they consider themselves joining such a TV format? So we got uh, clicks, but as I said, it was not a massive surge. Mm -hmm. And in particular, it was not a massive wave of signups because of the TV show. But then the, the day deal was on the day after, mm -hmm. and that generated a lot of signups. Okay. Now, is this a combined effect? Maybe. But uh, yeah, I'm not a marketing guy. I can't really say what's, what's what here. It's difficult to analyze, but probably like appearing on a TV show in your case helped you to build awareness or a certain brand building. But then the day deal uh, platform really helped you to convert people because there was a clear call to action. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the current numbers, you have more than 70,000 clients so far. You just recently raised 7 million from existing investors. And also on top of that, you did a 5 million tokenized crowd investment which was super surprising because I think you, you were also really the innovators there who did that for the first time on that scale and it worked magnificently. Do you have anything, you know, anything to share in that regard? Because that's such a cool achievement and something that we haven't seen in Switzerland before. It was a fantastic ride. It was totally unexpected when we discussed whether or not we were going to do that. Um, the the line of argument went a bit like, hmm, we don't really need the money, but it would be cool to convert clients into ambassadors yep. and to really have our clients participate in Neon. Um, and then the, the amount of money we took in, yeah, total surprise here. And I mean, that happened just within a few hours, right? I think it was 45 minutes or so. It's insane. But what was the basis of that success? Was it like your big uh, already existing client base or what would you say was like the the key point that made that a success? It was clearly the client base because only existing clients or only clients could invest and there was right. not a massive number of signups. Um, and I believe having when, when you use Neon for a while, many people become really convinced that this is the future of banking mm -hmm. and then being able to buy into that seemed like uh, an attractive offering. A fair point. So now you have just raised uh, enough money, more money than you actually need. Of course, you also need to have plans for that, what you want to build and, and do next with the funds available. So what do you have planned for the future? So for the immediate future until the end of the year, we want to surpass the 100k clients, which needs a bit of money for marketing, onboarding and so on. Um, then we want to provide sub accounts and spaces to our clients and then and, and also notifications. And later on, uh, we want to offer partner accounts. 
So these are the, the top three things on the client's wish lists. And all of them are a lot more complex than they sound like. So, yeah, the answer is we will spend the money on the one hand side on acquiring clients, on the other hand to build product. Got it. Do you also plan to go into the investment space or a, a completely new and never seen product? We're discussing many things. Mm -hmm. um, I personally believe that uh, neo brokers in Switzerland, so that's Swissquote, yeah. um, they are not yet at the level of the international competition. So there may be space there in the future. Will Neon go that way? We don't know yet. Makes sense, yeah. We'll see. We are curious and excited to see what we will have in store for us. But uh, yeah, myself as a user, I, I like tried Swissquote and it's still uh, very expensive if you compare it to American companies, for example. Uh, but as always, there are pros and cons. So uh, you have to find the right solution. Maybe one day that will, will be Neon. So what we also always like to ask our guests is uh, about their favorite resources and gadgets. So do you have any books or blogs, podcasts that you can recommend to our listeners that you use yourself on a regular basis? Absolutely. Um, on the podcasts, I have a very favorite one for people building their own startup. And that is How I Built This from Guy Ross. Because, well, typically when you hear about a startup, you hear about all the successes and the highlights and everything was a smooth ride. Yeah. But actually it wasn't. I, I don't know a single startup where everything was smooth sailing. And Guy Raz really puts his finger into it and, and uh, elicits all, all the, the funny stories and what really happened. And to hear these stories sort of gives you a good benchmark of what it's like and that you don't have to expect smooth sailing. Right. Um, then I listen to the Doppelganger podcast. It's a, a German tech podcast, which uh, I believe gives extremely good market insights. And then the Happiness Lab, which allows me to focus on what makes me happy and, and gives a different perspective. Cool. And in that regard, what makes you happy? What is it that, uh, you know, keep, puts a smile on your face? There are many things that can put a smile on my face. Um, so at work, if whenever we achieve something, whenever we have built something new, that certainly will uh, make me happy. Then I have a three-year-old kid. We can yeah. always pull it off. And then... When I really need some rest, I will go skiing or surfing for a couple of days. Cool. And you know, you, you mentioned it yourself, like startup life is not always sunshine and rainbows. So there are also dark moments and, and challenging days. Now we heard your impressive story. Was there ever a moment where, where you thought, that's it, I'm going to quit, that's not going to work? Actually, no. That That didn't happen. Were you ever close to that? Um Look, there's two questions in, uh, pressed into one single question. The first one is, that's never going to work. There were definitely moments where I thought, yeah, hmm, this is at risk. Mm -hmm. I'm going to quit because it's not going to work was never an option. 
Okay. Uh, you can fail as a startup, but you have to really, yeah, give your all and and see if you can somehow pull it off. And, and if you cannot, okay, fine, then that's it. But quitting before really using all the options is not an option. I like the the distinguishing that you just made. Like, it's not going to work, so we just have to find another way. What kept you going in these moments when you had the impression it's not going to work and you still found the motivation to continue and try a different way? Was it the pressure that you mentioned in the beginning with, hey, we left our well-paying corporate jobs, so we really have to make this work? Or what kept you going in these moments? We set out to build this company. And once you take that decision, you better give everything to really build this company. So I, I can't really say that anything kept me going. It was never an option to, to not go. Basically your own ambition in that, in that way. Fair point. So to wrap up today's session, we have some rapid fire questions for you. I give you either a short question or a selection and you have to explain your choice or answer in one sentence. Are you ready? First one, how many hours of sleep did you get last night? About six hours, but typically it's more seven or eight hours. Okay, cool. Germany or Switzerland? Right now, Switzerland is the top dog, at least in the soccer championship. <laughs> Fair point. Where do you go to relax and recover? Uh, I will go surfing in the Atlantic in a couple of days. Oh, nice. Beautiful. Uh, another one for you, growth or profitability? Growth. That's an easy choice at least for the stage that you're in right now. Cash or card? Neon Apple Pay. Love that one. And the last one, what's your favorite investment? So I am a very boring old school value investor and I totally don't like to gamble. So for me, that's real estate and Amazon. Nice. Simon, thank you so much for stopping by and for sharing your impressive journey. We wish you and the whole Neon team all the best and lots of success on the road to the 100k users. Thank you so much. I thank you very much, Stefan. Thanks for having me. This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.